On one day in April 2015, the police responded to calls to a hotel room in Gallup, New Mexico, three times. On the last call, Dion Begay Thomas was transported to the hospital in critical condition. There were a small number of people known to be in that motel room that day, yet five years later, no arrests have been made. I'm Charlie, and welcome to Crime Lines. Hello and welcome back. This is another episode in our Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women series. Every month in 2020, I have profiled a case or, in some months, multiple cases of missing or murdered Indigenous women and girls. It is November, so we're nearing the end of the series. I wasn't sure if I was going to continue specifically this thread or if I was going to switch focus for 2021. All I can say right now is that I have the research done, or at least started, on multiple episodes. So we will find ourselves at least a little bit into 2021 before I have to make any programming decisions. Also, in the event you do hear ads on this or any other episode of Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women, All of the ad revenue from those episodes is currently going to the First Nations COVID Relief Fund. So you'll hear the ads, but the money isn't going to me. I mean, it's going to me first, but then I'm forwarding it on. So anyway, let's jump into this month's case. We are talking about the case of Dionne Begay Thomas, and I want to thank her sister Christine for speaking with me. It was great to connect with her on a number of levels, and one of the main reasons I'm glad I spoke with her is that Dion's case was going to be included in a regional episode. I was going to pull multiple cases from New Mexico or from Dion's tribal background and cover them together. But when I talked to Christine, I realized we had plenty to cover here to make this episode just about Dion and just about the quest for justice in her case. This episode does deal with domestic violence. If you need support, please go to thehotline.org, and I will also leave some hotline phone numbers in the show notes. Dion was born Dion Begay, and she was a funny and outgoing woman. She had multiple tribal affiliations, with her father being Navajo or Diné, and her mother's side being from present-day Dakotas. They are Yankton Dakota, which is a Sioux tribe, and the Arikara, which is a new tribe for me to have learned about. I'm not sure about the rest of you in the U.S., but what I have seared into my brain from social studies class is that map. I think every textbook had it, and it labeled all the indigenous tribes as things like Eastern Woodlands and Plains Indians and so on. So a lot of the learning I have done to know anything about individual tribes is through covering the missing and murdered indigenous women cases that I have in this year. And it's always important that we don't always focus on the trauma of a marginalized community, and I hope that presenting some history and tribal information this year has helped you learn right alongside me. The Arikara or Sanish people have been traced back to prehistoric 
mound-building societies in the lower Mississippi River Valley. So the mounds are believed to have been built to honor and celebrate creation and the heavens. Not only did arrangements mirror the cosmos, they accurately measured days based on heavenly cycles. These mounds predate the almanacs that have been found in Mesoamerica by centuries, which makes them the first known calendars in North America. The group eventually migrated north and settled along the Missouri River in the Dakotas. In the 1860s, the tribe joined with the Mandan and Hidatsa tribes after much of their population was lost through war and disease. And the Lakota had driven the Arikara further north into North Dakota. The three tribes formed the three affiliated tribes, and they had more strength by joining their numbers. And together, they are a federally recognized tribe. There is a reservation in North Dakota. Though they formed this affiliation, the three tribes were not the same. They did not even share a language. But facing immense adversity, they came together. And now there are over 16,000 enrolled members and many other with their ancestry leading back to these three tribes, people who are not enrolled. Tribal enrollment requirements vary from tribe to tribe, and the three affiliated tribes require one-eighth degree blood, and they do not allow for dual enrollment. So the enrolled membership isn't a full picture of all of those who have connections or affiliations with the tribe. Dion and her family were living in New Mexico. That's where they grew up, so they were geographically closer to their Navajo roots and family members, though they did travel to the Dakotas to visit their family. Dion did get married and took on the surname Thomas, but by her late 20s, she and her husband had split up. Dion started dating a man named Anthony Ray a few years later. Dion and Anthony had gone to high school together, so they knew each other for a while, but he was a couple years older than her, and they didn't date until they were in their 30s. And things really changed for Dion at this point in her life. She started going out more. She started staying out more frequently and for longer periods, leaving her four daughters with her parents and not necessarily checking in as much as she used to. She ended up getting a couple DUIs around this time, and alcoholism really seemed to be at the root of a lot of the changes with Dion. Eventually, Dion's parents took full custody of her girls while she and Anthony lived what is best described as a somewhat transient life. They generally stayed in the Gallup, New Mexico area, but their residences were often cheap hotels in the not-so-great parts of town. Of course, her family was very concerned for her, particularly as it became apparent that there was intimate partner violence in the relationship. Domestic violence often drives a wedge between the victim and their support system. It's hard to stand by someone 
as they leave and then return to their abuser. And it's hard as the victim to face the judgments or the perceived judgments, the disappointment or the perceived disappointment coming from friends and family when they do stay with the abuser. But Dion's family always kept in touch with her, and they made space for her in the home. Anytime she called and asked to come home, someone would go get her. No matter how many times she went back to Anthony, Dion could always call home, and they would come. The family encouraged her to stay connected with her kids, making it as easy as possible for her to do so, so that it wouldn't seem easier to stay away. When Dion's father died unexpectedly of a heart attack in 2013, the family made sure Dion and Anthony were included in the services, the arrangements, the plans, because they knew that excluding Anthony may have caused Dion to stay away, and they didn't want that for her. So they included him. And I can't even imagine navigating a situation like that while dealing with my own grief. But the Begay family is really no ordinary family. There is so much strength here and resolve not to allow Dion to become completely alienated and isolated. Dion's mother, Debbie, even made it a point to find out who Dion's friends were and to connect with them. They didn't like how Anthony treated Dion any more than her family did. No one who loved Dion supported this relationship. So by opening those lines of communication, Debbie could keep up with what was going on, even in the times where Dion was not communicating or not really telling the family everything. So that is the background, and that gets us to the spring of 2015. Dion and Anthony were living in the Colonial Motel in Gallup, and this is in the most crime-ridden and violent part of the city. Gallup has high crime rates in general. With about 20,000 people, the violent crime rates are higher than anywhere else in New Mexico, and in the top 2% in the U.S. You might not see Gallup on the most dangerous U.S. cities list because those lists are usually big cities, big urban areas. At 20,000 people, this is a relatively small population, yet this city has such high crime rates. The violent crime rate is four times the national average. And Dion was living in a $40 a night motel in the center of it. And this is where it was so important to talk to Christine to get more information. Because in towns with high crime rates like this, things fall off the media radar very quickly because there is another story the next night. Most of the reporting on this case was based on the initial police report, not on the subsequent investigation. And the police report was essentially the statements from people who had reason to distance themselves from what happened. So what's in the media is very vague 
doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I think that may have been the first thing I said to Christine when we got on the phone is, I don't know where to start because the reporting doesn't make sense. Christine was able to provide so much more information, provide me with documentation that really cleared up a lot of my questions. So we are going to start on April 15th, 2015. At 9.07 that morning, the Gallup police received a noise complaint from the occupant of Colonial Motel, room number 156. He said the occupants of number 155, which was Anthony and Dion's room, were yelling and banging about. He also said he heard a scream. When the Gallup police responded, a short, stocky man answered the door. This would likely have been Milton Garnanaz, someone Anthony referred to as his brother-in-law. Anthony himself is six foot one, so we know it wasn't him opening the door. The police report just identifies it as a short, stocky man. The officers responding noted that there was a smell of alcohol both on the man and in the hotel room, also noting it was only nine in the morning. The responding officers also saw that there were two women in the room who were talking and laughing. No one seemed to be in distress. The shower was running, and the man who opened the door said that there was someone in there, and he was actually singing in the shower. Whatever the neighbor in room 156 thought he heard or had heard, it was over by the time Gallup PD showed up. So the officers told them to keep it down, and they left. Around noon, Anthony, Milton, and Dion left the hotel, and they went to the Fire Rock Navajo Casino, which is about a 15-minute drive from the motel. They arrived back about an hour later, putting it around 1 p.m. These times are very approximate. Less than 45 minutes after they got back, the neighbor in 156 called the police again. He said that room 155 was being loud again. And when he left his room to bring his trash to the dumpster, Anthony had confronted him. He yelled, cursed, and threatened to fight this man. When the officers arrived and they went to talk to Anthony about it, he admitted that there was a verbal altercation. And we know it was Anthony this time who they spoke to because they took his ID. And they went down to the front desk and verified that he was registered to stay in that room. My guess is that they would have told him to leave if he was just a visitor. But after Anthony apologized to the officers and said he'd apologize to the neighbor, the police left after telling him again to be quiet and also advising him to just stay in his room. It's also noted in this incident report that there was a strong smell of alcohol on Anthony and in the room. The next call to the police was a 911 call from Anthony placed shortly before 6 p.m. He said that his wife, Dion, had hit her head 
She was bleeding from a cut on her forehead, and he couldn't wake her up. The EMTs responded to the hotel room, and they found Dion unconscious on the bed. She was alive, but they could not get her to come to. And the paramedics noted that they were alarmed by what they described as the men in the room, who were Anthony and Milton, cleaning up. And that included, to some extent, cleaning up Dion, possibly blood that was on her. Dion was transported to the nearby Gallup Indian Medical Center, and while being examined, the EMTs became concerned again over the state of her clothes. Her undergarments were put on incorrectly. It looked as though someone had redressed her at some point. This caused the hospital to call the Gallup police to come investigate what they were calling a suspected sexual assault. They arrived at the Gallup Indian Medical Center shortly before 8 p.m. When the investigators got there, Anthony and Milton were in the parking lot. They were both upset, visibly upset, and Anthony kept insisting he had to go in there, he had to be with Dion. But he had been kicked out when Dion's mother, Debbie, arrived. So Debbie had raced over as soon as she got the call that Dion was in the hospital. When she got there, she learned that Anthony was passing himself off as Dion's husband. While they had been together for several years, they were not married. So Debbie told the hospital staff that not only was Anthony not the husband, but that he was Dion's abuser and he needed to leave. The details were not well documented in the police reports that I have seen that are public record, but Debbie said Dion's face was swollen, there was blood on her face, bruising, and what appeared to be a handprint. Not just a cut on her forehead like Anthony had said. Debbie had no doubt in her mind that this was not a mysterious fall and bump on the head. She suspected that he had done this, and she insisted that he be removed from the room, which he was. Since the police found him in the parking lot when they arrived, it was just about 8 p.m. when he gave his statement to the police. He was one of the first people they spoke to. Standing out in the hospital parking lot, he said that he and Dion had been on a two-week drinking binge that had started because of the death of his son. As far as what led up to Dion's injuries, Anthony said that it was around 5.30 p.m. when he went to the Fire Rock Navajo Casino without Dion because he needed to cash in a voucher of his winnings. It was worth about $40, and he needed that money to pay for the motel room. According to Anthony, Dion was sitting on the bed watching TV when he left, and the two hadn't argued or had any type of physical altercation on this day. Anthony said he was only at the casino for five to ten minutes to cash in that voucher, and then he headed back to the motel. When he got back, the door was locked, so he knocked on it. 
When Dion didn't answer, he had the motel housekeeper unlock the door for him. He said he saw Dion lying on the bed, so he assumed she was napping. He went to the bathroom, and when he came out, he tried to wake her up. But when Dion didn't respond, he noticed that there was a cut on her head and blood on her hand. Assuming she had hit her head somewhere, he looked around to see if he could find maybe the trail of blood that would give an indication of where this injury had occurred. He didn't see anything, so he thought she must have hit her head on the bedpost. Anthony then called 911. And because of this concern that someone had assaulted Dion and then redressed her, the officers asked about what she was wearing when he left the motel room. But Anthony said she was wearing a tank top and jeans when he left, and that's what she was wearing when he came back and called 911. Towards the end of this interview, Anthony was getting more and more upset and more insistent that he had to go see Dion, who he kept referring to as his wife. He was told that the doctors were taking care of her and he just needed to let them do their job. But they did have him sit in the back of the police car, no handcuffs or anything like that. It seems they had him sit there just so he had somewhere to sit and calm down but also somewhere that wasn't his own car, because I'm pretty sure they didn't want him to drive off just yet. So here's the most notable thing about Anthony's statement. It doesn't match the statement of his friend-slash-brother-in-law, Milton. Milton told the police that they went to the casino more like 3 p.m., not 5.30. When they got back to the hotel around 4, Anthony went into the hotel room with Dion while Milton went to Walmart. He said he was gone about an hour, putting him back at the hotel room at 5. He said when he got there, he knocked on the door and Anthony let him in, telling him that Dion was sleeping. Milton said he dozed off himself for about half an hour. When he woke up, Anthony told him that Dion would not wake up. Milton tried to get a response from her and squeezed her fingers. He said Dion pulled her fingers away when he did this, so she did have some sort of reaction. Being that they were drinking all day and really all week, it's not unexpected that Milton and Anthony would have inconsistent stories, particularly about details, like what time they went to the casino. But if Anthony did cash in a voucher, I'm sure the Gallup police were able to check the records at the casino. This is a paper trail type of transaction, since Anthony turned in an actual voucher in exchange for cash. And if for some reason, the time was not recorded, security cameras and witnesses could have helped fill in the blanks. And they could do the same thing for Milton going to Walmart. Even if he didn't buy anything, which would produce a time-stamped receipt, the one thing we all know about Walmart is that they're all covered in security cameras. So the exact timeline is not that big of a deal to me because it can be figured out through an investigation. 
The part that's most interesting about their stories is that Anthony claimed Dion was totally fine when he left her alone in the motel room for 30 to 45 minutes. And then when he got back, she wasn't okay. So clearly, whatever happened to her would have happened in that window where he was not with her, according to Anthony. But Milton doesn't tell the same story. He has Dion alone in the hotel room for roughly an hour, but then he has Anthony alone with her for another hour while he went to Walmart. When he returned from Walmart, she was asleep. Both of these men gave stories that put themselves anywhere but that motel room in the time frame Dion would have sustained her injuries. Because if it's not obvious, Dion did not fall and she didn't hit her head. Dion had been assaulted. She was airlifted to the University of New Mexico's trauma unit in Albuquerque. Fortunately, she did have family, including Christine, who lived out there. So while her mom and one of her daughters made the two-hour drive to meet her at the hospital, family was able to get there quickly, so she wasn't alone. The doctors told the family late that Saturday night that Dion had a lot of bleeding on the brain and things did not look good. Meanwhile, in Gallup, the police were investigating. They went to the motel to secure the scene and to interview any witnesses. I'm not going to pretend that going through these witness statements is going to clear anything up for anyone, but we're going to do it anyway. So it was around 8.30 that night that they spoke to the hotel owner and his son. The son, Kevin Kumar, said he heard Anthony yelling, slamming a door, and then getting into the passenger seat of a truck. A couple times that day, he had to tell Anthony to keep the noise down. So the real relevance of this comment and this witness statement is that in spite of Anthony acting like everything had been fine that day, and he and Dion hadn't been arguing. Here we have another person, in addition to the neighbor in 156, saying that Anthony was angry and possibly on edge. Another witness was a woman named Cheryl. She said that sometime between 3 and 3.30, she heard a man yelling, and she believed it was at a woman, but she didn't see who was fighting. She left the motel, and when she was coming back to her room later, a woman named Shannon asked if Cheryl knew Ant's girlfriend or if Ant had a girlfriend, something like that, Ant being short for Anthony, of course. Cheryl said she didn't know who Shannon was talking about, and Shannon said that there was a woman bleeding from her head. Cheryl didn't know the couple, so she just kind of moved on with her day. This motel, if you can imagine, is a place where you mind your own business. We saw that when the man in 156 called in a noise complaint that Anthony threatened to fight him. So most people living at this motel knew to just keep themselves to themselves. Another motel neighbor in 154 this time said that he did hear a man and woman arguing something about the man cheating, and then the woman left the room around 2 p.m. 
And then we have a man named Daniel who said he saw Anthony and Milton coming and going from the room throughout the day. And at one point, they couldn't get back into the room for about 45 minutes. So this not being able to get back into the room does align with Anthony's story about going to the casino and then needing the maid to unlock the door. But if it was 45 minutes or even 30 minutes that he waited for the door to be opened, that doesn't fit the timeline. That would put it well past the time 911 was called. The witness statements that have been released as written without additional information, for me, they kind of muddy the timeline rather than bring it into focus. What we're getting from here is the fact that there was a lot of arguing happening in that room, regardless of Anthony's account, that there wasn't. And in the past, in their relationship, drinking and arguing led to violence against Dion. The police report has this incident written up as suspected aggravated assault and battery on a household member. It lists Dion as the victim, Milton as a witness, and Anthony as the suspect. The charges, if any had been laid, would have been upgraded the next day. At 9.21 a.m. on Sunday, April 16th, 2015, Dion Begay Thomas died of her injuries. The cause of death was blunt head trauma. The manner of death was listed as undetermined, but it was and is being investigated as a homicide. It's not entirely clear why there were no charges brought against Anthony, but they weren't. Within months, Anthony left Gallup. Anything you or I may quietly be speculating to ourselves about what happened that day, it's all alleged. He has not been charged, let alone convicted, of any crime in regard to Dion's death. Indigenous women in the United States are at higher risk of violence across the board both stranger and domestic, both physical and sexual. 34.5% of white women in the United States have experienced intimate partner violence over their lifetime. This is according to a 2016 study by the National Institute of Justice. This puts it at one in three. That same study showed that 55.5% of Indigenous women experience intimate partner violence. That is more than half. That is a huge difference. This year, we've talked about a number of missing and murdered Indigenous women cases and cases involving children, and the majority were suspected or known to be crimes committed by someone unknown to the victims. But like all women, Indigenous women are more likely to be victims of someone they know. Dion was in that hotel room with two men she knew. One was her partner and the other a close friend. The two men gave stories that do not match. 
One was named a suspect in the assault on her almost immediately. And yet, the case grew cold. The family had trouble understanding exactly why or where the investigation was, and the Gallup police, dealing with a city with such high crime rates, didn't have the time or the staffing or the whatever to bridge that gap. Then, Dion's sister Christine got connected with the New Mexico Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women Task Force shortly after it was formed within this last year. With their help, doors the family had trouble getting through opened. They had a sit-down meeting with the DA, and they started getting regular updates on the status of the case. And now, through these connections, Christina is giving back by helping the task force, not just advocating for Dion's case, but for other missing and murdered Indigenous women and their families. This case, what happened to Dion and the trouble her family has had for five years in getting answers, is reason enough why we need these task forces. So, where is Dion's case now? It is open, and thanks to her family, it is also active. Anthony Ray is currently in prison in another state, and he has been for about the last two years. He's serving a six-year sentence for aggravated DUI. This longer sentence is very likely due to the fact that this isn't his first or even second DUI. He is incarcerated in a prison that specifically focuses on substance and alcohol abuse treatment. Milton Garnanez, along with one of the other witnesses, has since passed away in the last five years. But that doesn't mean there are not other people out there with the information needed. And the police are ready to take your tips. If you were at the Colonial Motel or the Fire Rock Casino on April 15th, 2015, or if you have any other information on this case, you are asked to contact the Gallup Police. You can call them at 505-863-9365. Anonymous information can be called into Crime Stoppers. That's 505-722-6161. There is a reward in this case. I will leave both of these phone numbers in the show notes for easy access, along with those phone numbers for domestic violence help. Let's find justice for Dion, for her family, and especially for her daughters. They deserve a world where justice for all includes their mother. 